What's cracking, Brainiacs? Matrix Breakers Worldwide Global Show. Are you ready for tonight? Mr. With Mr. Dennis J. Sant. Connecting the cosmic dots here on the Matrix Minds. That's right. If you think you're alone whenever it comes to extraterrestrial phenomena, UFOlogy, anything and everything in between UFOs, this man here has got a story to tell. And I've got right here in my hands this man's book. Okay, and it is absolutely off the chains. And I've got it here with me. So on the other side of this, on the other side of this wonderful intro video, you guys are gonna get to you know, yeah, speak with and talk to and listen to Mr. Dennis J. Sand. You guys ready? Let's do this, Brainiacs. Let's let's go, let's go. Let's do this. Community, Matrix Community. And again, interesting, interesting show. Make sure I get you guys up here and see if I got Dennis up here. There's no, there's Dennis. Yeah, there's Dennis. Yeah, see, maybe if I can keep him up there, I don't know what's going on. There he goes. All right, now we got him up there. There we go. All right, say hello to everybody, Mr. Dennis. <laughs> hey Matt, how are you? And hello everybody out there. I'm excited to be with you tonight. And I'm excited to have you, just as well as everybody else here. I, I was talking to everybody. I was talking to everybody about this interview, this talk with you, on Monday and on Wednesday. Tell you what, man. I, I, I you know, reading, reading through your book, Dennis. I got, I got your book. I, I love it. I, I lo literally love that your story is. It, it brings it. The connecting the dots, right? C connecting cosmic dots. 
I am a cosmic dot in your life. No. It's no, just, you are. I, it's, it's crazy how things, but yet not crazy how everything just like interacts. And uh, and again, yeah, this, you, it, you, it, it's amazing how they're all connected. You and I were connected. You've done multiple interviews over over the past years. There's not no doubt about that. I I, I can't even. I, I usually I was gonna I grab my I, I forgot my paper like always. You have been on a number of different talk shows, as well as covered on um, uh, different new news outlets, things like that, about your your close encounter with whatever it was, whatever this this ship ship. It was a ship. Let's just I ain't gonna beat around the bush. If you seen the ship, you seen the ship. You got well, it. You know it. Yes, sir. Let's just, uh, Dennis. Let's let's start out with it during this interview process. Where, because I've read the book, I've read your book. Where did your journey begin? So explain the book. Where, when did all of this start for you? I'm talking back from young age. How to how to get everybody's feet wet. You know, let me start off by saying um, my story and my journey are different than many people that seem to have encountered something unusual in in the night sky. Mine actually started uh, when I was nine years old, and I had a visitation of a I called it a young boy, certainly was an alien in my bedroom. And it uh, began a journey uh, that went back to both grandparents on both sides. Um, It's an interesting uh, uh, connection of dots. After I had that visitation, I had a long conversation with my grandmother who lived with us. I thought all grandmas lived with their family. And um, she came from the rainforest in Puerto Rico. She's a descendant from the Tiano Indians. And her family has a long lineage of healers. And um, she had a visitation when she was a little girl um, in in the rainforest and um it was shortly after her grandmother who raised her passed away and now she was designated as the healer of the village and she knew nothing or so she said of uh uh, using holistic herbs and um and barks and roots and everything that my grandmother would have actually she had in her room uh, my grandmother owned a restaurant <clears throat> bar in a small community uh, about 50 miles north of New York City. And um, uh, it, in her room, which was over the restaurant, was a combination of old church. Uh, one wall was filled with uh, an altar and uh, and pictures of uh, Jesus and uh, candles and the next wall was filled with all these dolls that uh, she would make and clothe 
and make dresses for and the next wall well that was filled with jars and jars of herbs and barks and roots and seeds and things she would mix up when anyone in the family became ill and all these secrets were given to her during this period of time where she interacted with this alien being um also days after my uh visitation i had a chance to speak with my grandfather who happened to live right across the street and on my dad's side and he was from the island of malta and how old were you dennis whenever whenever this first experience because mama uh, mama tina right nine nine years old yeah nine nine and we called her mommy tina right very good (laughs) i read your book well i gotta tell you matt you're one of the few interviewers that read my book from cover to cover and uh i'm more excited speaking to you than all the other interviewers that i've spoken to bless your heart well you have a reference and you took the time to learn about me and you took the time to read my journey and i am so thrilled of that and i want you to know that i am just open for any questions you have in regards to that Uh, going back to my grandfather he had a uh, visitation um, on, off the island of Malta. The family business was, um, they had gondolas that uh, would go out to the British Navy and pick up the laundry and bring food, snacks, and a water taxi. They would take the uh, sailors, the British sailors, into uh, shore leave. Mm-hmm. And on one of his return trips back into the harbor of Malta, uh, there was a hand and arm just reaching out of the Mediterranean Sea. And he told me that uh, everyone who worked on the oceans and the seas of this world took a solemn oath. If there was ever a human that was in danger of drowning, well, they were obligated to use all of their resources to uh, assist that individual to save his life. And so the gondola pulled over and they pulled this uh, entity out of the water. He was alive. Uh, He was described very similar to what my grandmother told me and to the visitation I had in my room. Uh, What did did he look like? Well, he was very skinny. He was uh, my height of nine years old so i would say less than five feet he had a large head oval his skin was kind of like a silky bluish uh smoky gray look um he spoke to me mind to mind um the encounter i'm sorry it's okay telekinesis yeah well you know back nine years back in nine years old was mine to mine right well you know a, a lot of the interviewees that that i've spoke to and i'm talking quite a handful okay and, and quite a handful in three uh have always said that whenever they've come into contact with entities you know uh an alien entity being it, it was always always that telekinesis type communication 
Always, never, never and, verbal. It's always in the head. Always, always communication via telekinesis. And, and it was a perfect communication. It wasn't that I said, "What did you say?" I knew exactly what he was saying to me, and it wasn't just words in my mind. They were wonderful feelings. I think one of the my motivations today to sit down. And I wrote the book during the pandemic. So I had a lot of time to really sit and do investigative work in my writings. Right. So uh, uh, I, I'm thrilled where I am today in telling my story. And um, I hope in this interview that uh, you ask me all types of questions. And uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that your uh, listeners will also be active and ask questions. I'm, you know, it's funny. We don't ask any questions of our grandparents, you know, like what type of ice cream did they like or mm. what was their favorite color? And and when I started asking questions, I found a wealth of information on both sides of my family. So it's interesting that from the uh, Caribbean, uh, Puerto Rico and and uh, the Mediterranean, the island of Malta, and Gozo. Mm -hmm. And actually, Gozo is where my family came from in the Mediterranean Sea. See, you've, I, I, I can share this with you. I can share this with you. you. What you just said, you said in the book. If, and this is, this is a shout-out to everybody. If you have still got your great-grandparents and grandparents, like Dennis just said, pick their brain. Pick yes. their brain. Because there's a wealth of information that they've got that they may just may not have shared throughout that, that time. And, if, and you spending time, I wish to God that I still had my, my grandparents as well as my, my wife's grandfather. That man died of, at 102 years old. Okay. Oh, God he, bless him. Oh, yeah. He remembers in Chillicothe, Ohio, whenever they first laid the first rail Mm -hmm. Rail, railroad rail. He remembers when the Chillicothe train came through his family's property, and was the, oh, it scared. He said it scared him. To, he said it scared him to death. He knew what they were laying, but he'd never seen a train at that age. Exactly. He, he was young. Oh yeah, so nah. picking their brain, like like you said, he, Mama Tina had stories. Okay, Mama Mama Tina had stories, and and sharing she them with you have stories. Yeah, she really did. <laughs> and um, and just the life that she lived, you know, um, in in the rainforest, there's probably over 500 different herbs that are medical herbs that um, we don't even investigate anymore because we don't look uh, for natural remedies. We go right to the uh, chemicals and they're a lot cheaper and easier and quicker to make than brewing teas and mixing herbs and letting them dry out and it, it's a long process and it's a piece of yourself but they don't have the side effects that the chemicals do either mm -hmm. yeah so dennis you mentioned <clears throat> is it safe is it safe to ask about the entity the short little guy that visit you visit you at nine because it scared you, right? You know what? It it, it was a mixed bag. It scared me because he looked different than any other 
person my size and my age looked. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, the most scariest part. The conversation was not scary at all. It was loving. It was uh, almost like, don't be afraid. Don't uh, uh, cry. Um, I'm not here to hurt you. We're like cousins. We're related. Um, you know, I I've known you. Peace. You're, yeah, I come in peace. Yep, I come in peace and love. And uh, not only did I hear those words in my mind, but I felt them in my in my heart. I it, it wasn't until he started to approach <laughs> where I was sleeping, and I found that I was unable to move or really even unable to speak verbally i tried to call out to my father at that time and uh i I was just gasping um started to move away back towards the window and i could hear myself just screaming bloody murder daddy daddy there's a little boy in my room and get in here and the next thing i met him in the hallway and uh and there started my journey of connecting dots even at age nine my dad was always infatuated by the possibility of life in this beautiful galaxy that we live in together with other with other species with other species Uh, so so I, i was excited um to have the encounter, uh, I was only frightened because it was an unusual looking uh, entity. It mm-hmm. didn't look like anybody I had in my third grade class. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, I bet not, right? Yeah. Um, now, question, because I, I don't really, I do not really remember. I, I do, however, remember you saying that you were on, but I don't, I don't remember the time frame. Um, when was it that your father, your own father, had mentioned, or was it your grandfather? I think it was your grandfather. That's like he, you after after you told him your story, it's like he was like just being hush hush because he knew, he knew, he knew, um, because he too had an encounter with uh, some some extraterrestrial biological entity or some some being some species. How old was you when you were on the boat with him, right? Whenever you were on the little on the boat, you were in a little fishing boat, and, and whenever he told you that, and he winked at you, saying that he, that he knows because, and then he told you that story of him, and and his entity experience. Uh, actually, it was on that conversation was only days after i had my encounter so i was age nine um uh, prior to that um my dad and i spent a great deal of time we worked on the railroad so he was home about five o'clock and we'd be off in the reservoirs and the lakes uh fishing he loved to fish and we stayed there to the wee hours uh after dinner, we wouldn't get home till maybe nine nine o'clock in the evening, and uh, the conversation always went to all the stars that we were looking at, and he would liken them to suns, and he'd go around every sun. There's a a bunch of planets, and how can we be so arrogant to think that mm-hmm. there's not life out out 
than every one of those stars. And, you know, it started to open my mind. So as things started to unfold, as I got older, and certainly after I got into the military, uh, things started to become a lot more crystallized. Mm, okay. Yeah, so that, le- that w- w- what you just said, leads us up to... To to your neck, the next chapter in your life, right? Primarily, the the Air Force, well, your connection with the Air Force. Yeah, that that was very very interesting. I enlisted in the uh, United States Air Force in 1968, and I was really blessed. I mean, I wasn't excited about going. Uh, I didn't even know where Vietnam was, so mm-hmm. I see it on channel, you know, on the news, but I, it certainly wasn't a place I wanted to find myself, but I did want to serve my country. I felt an obligation to do that. Um, so um, I was assigned to um, Maxwell Air Force Base in, um, in Montgomery, Alabama, and I spent most of my years at the Air War College. Maxwell Air Force Base was a very special Air Force Base. It was known as the showcase of the Air Force. And it was also uh, uh, USAP headquarters. Um, and, and there they had their Air War College where they trained their officers on the tactics of war. During 1968, they started a very special project called Corona Harvest. It was the evaluation of the war in Vietnam and Southeast Asia. And up until that point, I really liked being in the Air Force, and I was Airman of the Quarter. I was Airman of the Year. And then they assigned me to this project uh, when I reached the rank of sergeant to, um, I was a gopher. I made the coffee. Go for it. And I picked them up. I I (laughs) picked up the panel members at the airport and I drive around in a protocol car with stars on the uh, license plate. And I always forget to take the the banner or put the banner on. I'd leave it off so the stars would be on there no matter where I was driving. And uh, I got saluted just about every place because of the car, not because of me. Um, (laughs) Okay. uh, and making coffee, but the biggest part of my job was uh, uh, bringing in the documents that the panel mes- uh, members requested, and I would bring them in from an Air Force hangar we called the vault, and that's where all of the um, records were kept on the, our air power uh, during Southeast Asia. Korea also was part of the investigation, and I didn't even know there was a war in Vietnam, uh, in Korea. And of course, Vietnam was the focus of our investigation on air, uh, air power in, uh, in Southeast Asia. So I had a great opportunity not only to uh, intermingle with these panel members, they were all field grade officers and above. So there was nobody lower than a major that was sitting on these panels. Uh, they were all fighter pilots, uh, many of them from Korea, uh, and uh, the rest were from Vietnam uh, sector. Um, so I had an opportunity not only to read many of the 
the uh, reports that I would bring to them every morning. They'd have a list of five or six documents that I would retrieve, and my job was to keep them secure um, uh, for the period that they were outside of the vault. Uh, every Wednesday, uh, each panel had a general who oversaw that panel, and ours was uh, General Huggins. He was a wonderful man. And uh, every Wednesday, uh, he would have a barbecue because these officers were working 10, 11 hours a day. Long TV days. A long day. And so at Wednesday, we looked forward to it. We got out early and, uh, and after a couple of cold beers and steak and uh, conversation, it always ended up speaking about um, the bogeys that were witnessed uh, during these conflicts in Nam and in Southeast Asia. So let, let, uh, with that being said, all right, we all know, uh, we've all heard the name, the, the word termed bogey whenever it comes to the Air Force. Mm. But you, you what, go ahead and clear up for everybody what that term stood for in the Air Force and, and with what we're talking about. What was a bogey? unidentified flying objects where we were unable to identify these objects related to any other country in the world so these were these were objects uh, ufos <laughs> they were <laughs> they, they were unidentified and uh, back then uh, the code word was a bogey uh, we got bogeys in the sky we got bogeys over this battle and um and that was my job was collecting the material for them to uh, evaluate our our air power. You see, Dennis, a lot of us don't. I, I've I've heard through other general like uh, generals that I've interviewed in the distant past that <clears throat> a lot like you said. I, I I didn't really I didn't know that the term was bogey. Okay, but I did know that in previous times of war and conflict. Um, other military men, and as, as well as generals, have interviewed with me talking about these these craft that would monitor just yes monitor over and be seen, but yet not reported on because the United States not only not only the United States military look at in them and deem them as a threat to national security, so do other governments because they don't know what the hell they are especially when they're just floating around a conflict and they're like gone gone i mean you're not the only one that's mentioned that oh no and, and i'll give you one of the amazing stories that i was able to uh um uh research uh was uh these pt boats were being fired upon um they were actually in in battle with Viet Cong, and there were these objects in the sky just hovering over them. They thought they were uh, uh, enemies. Um, uh, actually, they thought they were Russian-made uh, uh, aircrafts. Mm -hmm. And um, they actually fired at these objects in the sky. And later on, the investigation had um, uh, resulted in the findings that there was no foreign uh, ammunition ever used the ammunition they found <laughs> were ours 
and uh, so it was like they were ricocheting off or bouncing off these objects that uh, they were firing on, uh, upon. Uh, one of many, many uh, stories. The the best stories were sitting around the barbecue talking to these fighter pilots on things that they have pers personally witnessed. You know, I got to tell you, later on in, in these chain of events, I had the honor to spend many hours a weekend with uh, Dr. Alan Hynek, who was the director of Operation Blue Book. And um, he would tell me, he said, Dennis, you know, I was a skeptic when I was appointed in 1947. That's when I was born. And mm -hmm. he said, um, uh, I became a believer, not because of what I saw, because of everybody I spoke to. Uh, you're going to tell me that these uh, airplane pilots and fighter pilots and uh, these people of, of a very high IQ, uh, that they're lying, that they would make up these stories uh, and put in jeopardy our military um, forces. Um, so he said it was the thousands of interviews that he had conducted during his course of uh, directing Operation Blue Book that made him a, a believer. And that's what made me a, a real believer, not only my uh, interaction as a young boy of nine years old, but all these great men and women that I had uh, the honor and privilege of serving, making their coffee, yeah. and, and <laughs> listening to them, no and having quite a few beers and as the beers went on the stories got even better oh i can imagine dude that'd be that's it sounds absolutely awesome but you know i i was set up for it matt <clears throat> when i got on the plane it was the first time i ever flew it was from uh kennedy airport to uh uh dallas texas and um, it was non-stop we hit a lot of these air pockets <clears throat> and i had uh, bought, picked up a book just before I boarded the plane, and it was Eric von D uh, Danovic, uh, 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 Chariot of the Gods. Oh, yeah, and, Eric Van Donneken. And I must have read that, you know, 20 times mm -hmm. uh, during basic training. But that's basic training and, um, and the things that happened to me uh, during the military. Um, prepared me for what was going to unfold when I got out of the military and now coming back to my hometown, uh, married, uh, a little family, and wanting to get into the job market and, um, and found myself running for political office. I loved the community I lived in and I was elected to uh, be county clerk, which was uh, clerk to the Supreme and County Court of New York State. I, I held the position of, uh, of uh, Commissioner of Motor Vehicles for the County of Putnam County. And um, it, it put me in a position when I had this sighting later in my life and that it's part of the Mid-Hudson Valley phenomena, uh, I became the face and the voice of what was happening at that time. Uh, I was a, uh, a man who had um, um, 
very prestigious type titles and jobs and and someone that people would believe if they uh, heard my story so um that sighting uh that was featured on unsolved mysteries and they did a wonderful job mm -hmm. of covering it um began my quest where i said one day i'm going to tell my story but after i get out of politics i yeah, right. don't need i don't need to be running for county uh uh clerk to the supreme court and uh find out that i hang out with little green martians and uh, you mean gray ones az was gray, gray yeah. back then it was the little green green ones yeah <laughs> No, how let's let's talking on talk, touching base on the uh, um, on on see, actually seeing the phenomena. Give a description, um, like you would have, um, and and like you did in the book, of how it took place, when it took place, because it just it, it literally happened to you on a whim. You were on your way home. I mean, so it's just I was on the way home from a uh, yeah. By that time. I, I had four children, so uh, uh, we were on our way back from a church social. It was March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, but no, I was in church. I wasn't in a local pub. And on my way home, I witnessed a city of lights just hovering over the village of Brewster. My sighting took about 20 minutes from the moment I saw these objects in the sky to when they finally left. So it was a long process. It was about 7.30, quarter to eight. I was uh, on my way home and uh, I noticed these lights were hovering, as I call them, city of lights, over my backyard. I had a very large piece of property with a couple of um, ponds and a stream and uh, about two acres of lawn and uh, this, object was encompassing the whole backyard i pulled into the driveway got my children out and we all ran into the backyard and lo and behold it was gone and i got the kids ready for bed and we talked about what we saw and i had this gnawing feeling in my gut like go back outside and uh, i did and when I went outside, Interstate 84, which is a major thoroughway and, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Brewster, uh, was at a stop, uh, standstill. There were hundreds of cars that were parked on the interstate. People were out of their cars, pointing up at the sky, and there was that object, that city of lights, sitting over Interstate 84. By that time, uh, you could hear the uh, police radios and sirens coming. The state troopers were there and the county police were there. And it was a bizarre, surreal sight. And I'm standing on a road below uh, Interstate 84 watching all of this unfold on, on the road above my head and saying to myself, I wish I was up there. I wish I was closer. I wish I could take a baseball and just hit that object. It was so close to those cars and the, and the 18 wheelers that were on the highway. And just as I was feeling that feeling, the object turned around and in a slow movement and started to drift 
right over my property again where I had originally seen it and came to another standstill. My neighbors at that point started to come out of their homes and you know this is not like I was a kid in Nebraska and I saw a little light up in the sky and go oh I wonder what that would be I wonder what that is you it knew. wasn't that way. I knew this was something different and so did my neighbors so I they're screaming look up look look, look up at the sky do you see that and uh and I'm looking up the sky and trying to talk to them at the same time and then this tremendous light came on and lit up the backyard like it was a night football game and now the neighbors from look up are going get the out of there get out of there it's going to land dennis and they're screaming and at that point it it did uh scare me the thought of what if it did land what run would i for us run for us run for it or run towards it i don't know what i was going to do but i know at that moment it frightened me uh the thought of the unknown and when it did i it started to drift in a north uh westerly direction which would take it right over the hudson river uh i'm only about 26 miles from the hudson river and that's the direction that it slowly um disappeared over the uh the west and north uh, horizon so on that the next morning you know i called the uh the sheriff's department and people that i knew in the sheriff's department and uh, asking them what had happened and they were going to call steward air force base which uh it, it till this day it's an airport now but it's still part of it it's very top secret it's actually where they house these self bombers when they first came out. So uh, I thought it was, you know, maybe one of these uh, experimental things from the government. Um, but they said they had nothing to do with it. But of course, do does the government always tell the truth? Nah. Um, no, not always. Um, but it, 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 turned into a media i call it a tsunami and that's when the tv shows and i ended up on good morning america and i ended up on a lot of the fox channels and um uh it, it was probably one of the best shows was people are talking down in uh philly uh, pennsylvania that i flew down to that turned out to be uh a heavyweight battle between uh, uh, the Center for UFO Studies, which was Dr. Alan Hynek, and and you had uh, Phil uh, uh, Imbrogno and and Bob Pratt and uh, and Bud Hopkins and some of the greatest people in the field of ufology, the uh, pursuit of uh, UFOs, scientific pursuit uh, in the country, and they're in my backyard. Right, right, yeah. So uh, this this uh, threw me into a, another realm where now I was dealing with not only believers but people that have spent their life investigating this phenomena. 
Um, because of my, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's, it's okay. You. I was gonna say whenever. Let's talk for a second about whenever um, pr- prior to your prior to the shows going on on the shows. Whenever Doctor Heineck uh, came, came to visit you, and and, yes, and, he did. and 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 as as well as he talked to the children, and yes. there's connections there about the three stones. Okay, because when we'll also get into we'll also get into how real and how how actual real az is and was from your from your and your, still your, is and still is yeah from because yeah. from, from the age of nine okay he still presented himself to you years later because he was the one that threw the rock in the into the pond but let's go yeah. back let's go back dennis to oh, okay. to, to the interview oh, with dr heineck okay that that was great and uh we spent a lot of time he was a. uh, uh just wonderful with the children, you know. He didn't even talk about the uh, the sightings or what they saw or how they felt at the beginning. He talked about the school and what type of sports they liked, and they just ate ate him up. Uh, he was just that type of individual. And then he said, um, did, "Did you have any strange dreams?" And that's when everything just went quiet. Dennis, for. Dr. Heineck was from where though? That's the that's the key. Where is he from and who is he? Oh, Dr. Heineck, mm-hmm. uh, he's a professor. He was a captain in the United States Air Force. Um, uh, they sent him to investigate these things because he was he was a, he was appointed by the United States Air Force in 1947 to. Uh, to direct this uh, uh, project, right. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm wanting you to say that he was a, you know, he was connected to the military, and they assigned him to these things, these projects, to interview, because he was so damn skeptical. They want they wanted to come up with plausible explanations for all of these um, sightings that the people. Especially in this country, we're having. Um, I I believe that they investigated over seven hundred different uh, um, inquiries, uh, very credible, and um, and a lot of them, probably a third of them, uh, did not have. You know, and Heineck was saying, you know, I was telling him it was uh, swamp gas, or I was telling him it, it was uh, cloud formations, and I was telling him anything to uh, to take away this fear that this could be um, UFO phenomena. That this that this <laughs> could be life from another galaxy or another planet uh, and not from here mm-hmm. so um <clears throat> then he said you know after all the interviews and all the time he, he spent uh with the project that he was just convinced that there that this universe is teeming with life that uh uh you know if i could go back to the rock story um when he asked if, if the children had any dreams and they told him about a dream they all had. It, 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 
I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and, and there were three of my children sitting in the kitchen just talking like it was daytime. It was just a normal conversation. And they said, Dad, we all had a very similar dream that this object came out and landed in the backyard. It was a small object. And we went in. There was nobody in there. And it took off and uh, it, it went out of space. And we saw all these rocks floating around. And, and they went through this, this, this whole story. And Dr. Heinick said, OK, now wait a minute. I don't want you to. I want you to face the house and turn your back to the backyard, he said. And he called each kid out by name. He said, I want you to take this rock and you go down in the backyard and you, sh you put this rock exactly where this object had landed. And my first son went down and the other kids were facing the house, so they couldn't see him. And he placed the rock down where he, he thought that this object was. And, and Dr. Heineck then went to the next... Uh, my daughter and my other daughter and they all did the same thing took their little rock and they went down into the backyard and they placed it down there and after this was all finished and we talked and my wife kathy who you met is so sweet she had uh snacks and everything all all set up for everyone in the house and it was getting a little dark and uh, the kids went in and Dr. Heinick and uh, myself, we took a walk down to the backyard. And wouldn't you know, these rocks were laid inches from one another. These rocks also came into play in a very vivid dream that I had uh, much later, uh, years later, um, where th this entity and his name was our uh, AZ. AZ. Yeah, AZ. I said, why AZ? He said, why not? And uh, I always thought it was from the beginning to the end, AZ, you know. But it could have been Arizona for, for all I knew. But uh, we, we didn't labor on that much. He had much to say to me uh, about who I was and how things I said and did affected my little world. And... Um, and we, we spoke about my interaction with colleagues and uh, the good things and, and the bad things. And he showed me and, uh, and pardon? No, nothing. I'm, I'm queuing something up. It's okay. Uh, no, oh, and, and, he, and, and he told me in, in, in many ways that my words, even after I left, had effects on people, good and bad. And uh, he, he brought up a, a, an, an incident I had with a fellow co colleague who happened to be a lady, and we were from different political uh, persuasions and didn't really get along much. And uh, I was on my way to a conference, and I picked up my car to, to drive it up to Buffalo. And, uh, and she, uh, after reserving it, she said, oh, I'm so sorry, but... Uh, somebody else is using that car i said how, how can that be i i i, I reserved it she said I, I, there's nothing i can do i guess you, you won't be able to go on your conference well i was pissed at this woman <laughs> i picked up the phone and i called the department and he said i didn't reserve any car over there and i i caught her in a lie and i called her out in front of her staff oh boy and uh, i took the keys off of the 
off of a wall and I took my car that I had reserved and started on my way to Buffalo. And I, I, I'm on my way up there, I had all of these feelings, terrible feelings of how I left this woman. Well, when AZ and I were in the backyard, he had shown me on a, like a panoramic screen right in the sky what I caused that particular incident, how I distressed this woman to the point of tears, how I embarrassed her in front of her staff. These were all things I didn't see because I had left the room, how she left work early and went home and told her husband how, what a tyrant I was. And the, the, man, the man just couldn't believe that Dennis would act like this. And the more he talked in my defense, the, the more I just hurt knowing that I had caused this type of pain that um, I actually, I, I came back early from the conference. I apologized and asked her forgiveness in front of uh, her staff. I felt that I owed her at least that, that I spoke out of out of turn. And uh, to this day, um, 40 years later, we're still very close friends. So it, the, much of what uh, went between us have to do a lot with who I was as an individual and how I uh, encountered uh, other people and situations in, in this life, so to speak. Uh, it was always about, you know, the the uh, the word karma, uh, what you sow is what you reap, that type of thing. And he uh, just would constantly uh, employ that in, in who I was as an individual, that I thought I was just a local country boy. And, uh, and he felt that things I said and did had long effects i called ripples in the pond they affected everything around us that would be az's confrontation with you right explaining about life yeah and and yeah. you know it's uh, i had several conference uh, <clears throat> uh visitations from az and later on in life and they all had to do uh with the interaction of relationships and uh, how we might not be able to solve worldly problems, uh, just solving the little problems within household or neighborhoods or people you work with was like affecting the world. And right. uh, so, um, yeah, the, 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 the connections just never stop. As I'm sitting here talking with you now, knowing that there's somebody out there that possibly had a, uh, a visitation or had a connection with an alien being. Um, you know, this continued on, and I know in my book I, I spent a lot of time because uh, uh, I had the honor also of spending uh, two hours with the His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, mm -hmm. when he came to um, our state uh, and our county um, there was, had been built the biggest Buddha hall in the Northern hemisphere and the biggest Buddhist statue, uh, that, uh, in the Northern hemisphere. And he was there to bless it and karma, 
Karma. I had met uh, this uh, Dr. Shen, who was a very, very wealthy Chinese uh, entrepreneur who bought 500 acres in the uh, in Putnam County, uh, the most beautiful land I've ever seen. I mean, water just oozing out uh, from streams. And so all this acreage fell between uh, five different state parks all the way to the Hudson. And it's all very wilderness area. So when the dedication came, you get to the Buddhist monastery, our back roads, there were so many devotees. I didn't know there were so many <laughs> Buddhists here in Putnam County. They had to be close to 10,000 that were coming through the woods, pulling the cars off on these country roads, blocking the roads, and walking to the monastery. The uh, Secret Service and the um, uh, and his, uh, 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 of course, entree, uh, entourage um, said things were not in control out there. I had been invited by Dr. Shen to have a meet and greet with a Senator Lydell and uh, with our county sheriff and my lovely wife. And um, what was supposed to be 20 minutes turned into two hours and 20 minutes. It happens. And, uh, <laughs> it just happens. That was good karma. Yeah. Imagine being with His Holiness for two hours, and you're basically the only one in the room. Uh, the, the senator talked about uh, how we as Americans sympathize with his cause, and the and the sheriff, he'd, he'd ask some silly questions about his uh, security and uh, which everybody just shut up at that point. And I said, <laughs> what an opportunity for me to tell him we're sitting in a hot spot of UFO sightings. Well, he, he just lit up uh, because the, the Buddhists believe that the galaxies are teeming with life. Yeah. And, um, and he was all excited to talk about that. And he explained to me that this life is just like us. These beings, what he called them, uh, sentient. 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 It's called sentient. Sentient. Yeah, sentient. Which were, which were uh, uh, creations that had the same feelings we do, the feelings of love, of, of hate, of, mm -hmm. uh, of uh, emotions. Uh, they were beings that didn't look like us. Uh, but their their inner core was just like us, right? See, that's what what we're always we're, we're talking about here on the Matrix, and that is AI, artificial intelligence, uh, gaining gaining you know um, the ability to think like humans, act like humans. But one thing they'll always lack at the moment, and that's sentience. They will never you know they will never really have that true source connection. Or you know that godly connection and have a sentence sentience when it comes to feelings and emotions, un, you know, a, a, unlike you, myself, and AZ, etc. So sentience right. is a really, really powerful, powerful word. I didn't, I didn't even know what it meant. I go, yeah. what? Yeah, what? what? I never heard that before. Uh, but he was so kind. You know, it's it, it's something. It, he laughed a lot. The, he, he lit the room up with his 
personality and his persona. Um, he never seemed to talk down. If I didn't understand anything, that was quite all right with him. He didn't expect me to. Right. Uh, so when I would ask, what does that mean? He would go into a, a long uh, rant on you know, his particular point of view or how he felt uh, being an enlightened being, which mm -hmm. he is, uh, his viewpoint on life, extraterrestrial life, uh, and and who we are here seemed a lot like AZ to be honest. <laughs> right. Dennis, I want I got something queued up here, and I hope that I'm not gonna get get a copyright strike for this. And if I do, I guess I'll fight it. Um, but what I want to do is I want to show everyone and and let them hear your interview. Okay, when it comes to um uh what was it um hang on this would be your interview on um dum -dum 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 -dum. unsolved mysteries i i i definitely definitely want to show show everybody your interview on that they again they covered it really really good like you said um and you know in case we're missing something here, which I don't think we're we're missing, um, we can just pick up on on and, and talk after the the two minute and forty two second video clip that I'm about to share with everybody. Does that sound all right to you? It sounds good. You probably won't recognize me in the video, but go ahead and shoot it. <laughs> why, why, would, why would why would why would I recognize you? Well, I you think my hair is a little bit different color, and uh, but. Uh, uh, it's still me. Nah, you still the same handsome man. Same, still the same handsome man. All right, guys, this would be Dennis. Dennis's uh, coverage by Unsolved Mysteries, and let's go. Sant, a husband and father of five, has worked in local government for 17 years. He is currently the highest-ranking deputy in Putnam County. On March 17, 1983. Sant's home in Brewster was the site of an extraordinary event. Oh my God. Come on, see this. It was a very large object. The structure of it was very dark gray, metallic, almost girder type looking. What is it? The objects seemed to be very silent. The lights were iridescent, bright. Uh, they stood out in the sky in, in three dimension. It looked like a city of lights just hung in the sky of all brilliant colors. At that time, the girls became very frightened and, and they ran inside the house. Then my son and I were just drawn underneath it. Felt very good about encountering a visual contact with the object. We followed the object around to the backyard, and at that point, a feeling of fright came upon me. 
thoughts started to flood my mind. Thoughts of the craft touching ground. Thoughts of an encounter with an alien being. Thoughts of uh, being abducted. All types of uh, fearful thoughts started to enter into my mind. And it seemed only to be seconds before the object started to move again. Uh, but the feelings were overwhelming. From beginning to end, uh, the 19 or 20 minutes that I had viewed that craft was also a time of self-examination of myself and who I was. In a man's life, particular things unfold that make an impression for the rest of their life. This was one of those moments in my time that made a very dramatic impression upon me. What I saw was not planes in formation. Dennis, there's there's a spot that we are missing here, okay? And and we've not touched on it yet. You and I have not touched on it. Um, I I, I want to cover some maybe possibly missing time, okay? Because in the in your book we'd covered you'd covered a little bit of Monique. And are, are is this lady still vanished from your life out of curiosity? I haven't spoken to Monique since the show people are talking when she stayed in philadelphia and i came back to new york and shortly after that uh months after that not shortly um she had a move change she she moved to uh florida and we never spoke about it again uh prior to that monique and i were on many talk shows together and um it wasn't until um the night before we were to go on people are talking where i was having dinner with monique and two uh gentlemen from the um center for ufo studies and uh bud hopkins who is a uh, an author but an investigator on missing time on abductions and he has written quite a few books on that. At the dinner that we were having before the show, uh, we were eating uh, Philly cheese steaks, and uh, I was the only one in a sweatshirt, and because uh, I knew how messy eating Philly cheese steaks can be. Yeah. And at the end of the uh, dinner, the gentleman, um, and one of the, his name was Dave. Um, who uh, I met these two gentlemen at a UFO conference in Brewster, New York. Actually, they saved my rear end when someone came up on a mission and tried to say I was a disciple of Satan because Satan was prince of the air and uh, UFOs come from the air. But at dinner time, uh, we all went to the restroom and got cleaned up and Monique kind of leaned over when the other gentlemen were in the restroom and said, um, David, uh, do you, how well do you know David? And I just told, told her I'd met him a few times. And she said, he, um, he wants to put me under hypnosis and I don't know him. Would you mind 
sitting with me, I would like to um, find out what happened in that she spent hours following this object and she had over an hour of missing time. So we went back into her hotel room. It was myself and uh, uh, Bud Hopkins and Dave and John from the Center of UFO Studies. And I don't know the last name because I asked him once and he said, well, it's not important. My name's Dave. And that was good. That that was kind of good enough for me. I was always kind of pleased that they were around. During the session in uh, Monique's room, um, she she was going through all the, uh, you know, following this object, going through back roads, uh, pulling off of people's homes, blowing the her whole. Get uh, attention, uh, stopping cars that came down the road and pointing up at this object in the sky. She was just taken with it. And um, she followed it down to a small pond. And um, while she was at that pond, and when she left, she had an hour of missing time. Uh, it was later learned during hypnosis that um, she was abducted and taken upon a, a yeah. spacecraft yeah. Uh, uh, that resembled a laboratory, and she felt that she was being examined un, unprovoked or n- not wanting to. Um, this was a, a real kind of shocked to her uh, because she would always talk about this missing time and never have a handle on what had happened for over an hour where she was with her daughter uh, down these back roads following the object. Uh, after that um, and after the show, uh, we never spoke about it again. Um, it was a very volatile show um People are talking. The uh, editor of Discovery Magazine was the featured guest. I wasn't. He was. The Discovery Magazine had come up with the solution to the problem that they found out by going to this small little airport in upstate New York called, called Stormville that these pilots were stunt pilots flying uh, ultralight uh, aircraft Mm-hmm. Uh, six inches from wingtip to wingtip, and they had um, put on uh, extra lighting on their crafts to make it even more in, in, incredible sight. And um, this was his answer. He had an investigator, Discovery Magazine, uh, go up to the airport. They had quite a few beers with two pilots that told them the story. And uh, this is this is was their solution that they found the uh, what really happened. It was nothing but stunt pilots uh, uh, out uh-huh. of this uh, uh, Stormville. So I know knowing this story before I even got on the show, I couldn't wait to bring this up to uh, the editor of the stuff. Discovery Magazine uh, made him look quite foolish, and so did 
Bud Hopkins, who is just an intelligent uh, individual in this phenomena. And uh, the guy got really, really upset. And uh, people are talking, had a poll for all the viewers and telephone people were calling in and was the biggest response they've ever had in this type of setting uh, with, with the polls. And it was 80% of the people believed us and uh, and the rest might believe uh, Discovery Magazine. Yeah, so, well, welcome, welcome to the Matrix Minds, okay? Yeah. Because <laughs> if we were to have that poll here, you'd probably have a 98, 97% um, agreeable audience. I'm just telling you that my this audience is absolutely, absolutely awesome, and and they they that's what I'm saying. You when I this is why I wanted you here, is because they they're not not gonna believe you, your story, your belief, your experience. By God, Dennis experienced it. Dennis, speaking of that, I'm I'm embracing it. I want you to know that uh, I got to a point where. I'm now embracing the whole uh, journey that I've taken. Uh, it has led me into some of the most wonderful people like yourself that I've been uh, lucky to meet <laughs> because I've been on this uh, a journey, you know, from you know being on the Hannity show and being with Janine Pirro and mm. being with, you know, it, it's it's been a real trip. And they are real believers. And I think that even more so than it was back in 1983, I believe the world and uh, is, is more accepting to the possibility that there are um, uh, connections between us and other life forms in this galaxy. I cannot help but smile. For some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I'm I'm going to be honest with you. You can ask. You can literally go back and watch this show, and they'll all tell you. I right now, I'll tell you. This we're running at, at an hour and fifty three minutes in the show. I have never really smiled as much. Okay, I, I'm telling you, I, I enjoyed this book more so. Than I can ever tell you, I have read a lot of I've read a lot of stuff, and I don't know why, but I literally loved reading your story. And again, just watching you talking to the audience, I cannot help but smile. Thank you. <laughs> I you, you, honored to have you here. You're one. You one of the elders I speak of because you have. You do, you're playing a very important part in this whole phenomena that we're going through, and you're giving people a voice to share their story. That's all I wanted. I knew I wasn't going to become a millionaire, although I'm already a millionaire. Mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 just, I just knew that this was something that I had to investigate, uh, go on this journey, meet people just like you. All right, Mr. Dennis, your turn. Nobody, even my guests, because you're still live on the air, nobody comes to the Matrix without saying something positive to humanity. So with that being said, uh, let me say this. Again, you've had me smiling the entire night, okay? You are a blessing to have 
interviewed, and I'm glad that my life has crossed your path and I can add to your dots. I truly thank you. Thank you very much. You have opened up an incredible door for me. This is only the beginning of a long lasting relationship with you and I and with Celine and many of your readers and followers. I thank you for this opportunity. It's been fun. I, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's one of my favorite subjects. And uh, and I get to enjoy it with my wife, who you met briefly, who is the delight of my life and uh, and makes everything just uh, worthwhile. Oh. Awesome. All right, Dennis, we appreciate you. One more time, okay. thank you. Thank you again for being with me. And we'll, we'll, we'll have a follow-up because... We will. Yeah, we will definitely have a follow-up. All right, buddy. Thank you, and good night to you, Dennis. Good night to you, my friend. All right. Bye now. Bye now. Nothing but good things coming your way. Nothing but good things, baby. We're in the Matrix. We're in the Matrix. We're in the Matrix. Yeah. Let's do this. The Matrix Minds. One of the most controversial conspiratorial shows on the web. The Matrix Minds. And that's right. Buckle up, everybody. Let's go. Paranormal, huh? Conspiracy, huh?